This is not the story I'd planned to do for the next episode of this podcast. Our missionary colleague, Steve Montgomery, went home to be with his Lord. Brother Steve would have turned 93 in July, and he had been suffering from infirmities common to those whom God allows to live to such a ripe old age. That's the way we put it, isn't it? But like fruit on the tree, ripe is good, but too ripe is not. Our mortal bodies can become too ripe, and eventually they fall from the tree of physical life. Previous episode, I mentioned visiting Brother Steve in Louisiana on the occasion of his 92nd birthday. I said then that you would be hearing a lot more about him in the course of our mountain climbing story. We drove to Louisiana to attend the funeral, and his family asked me to conduct the funeral service. This is an expanded version of what I said at the funeral. But first, I need to give some background for this story. Those who attended the funeral would know the context for what I said, but for many, or most, of those listening, for the context is important. It's important not only to understand what I said at the funeral, but also because this is the crucible in which Abby and I were molded, where our life goals were instilled, and our faith was formed. This is where the roots of our work on Medeta are found. This story, our story, takes place in a setting that took shape in the late 1940s and early 1950s. About the time I was born, in 1946, there was a generation of young preachers who met at a small Baptist seminary in Little Rock, Arkansas. The school was an arm of the American Baptist Association, an association of churches who identified themselves as, quote-unquote, missionary Baptists, and who devoutly followed a doctrinal current known as landmarkism and hence they were known as Landmark Baptists. Without going into further detail at this point about their doctrinal position, I will just say that in the 1990s, this was the critical issue that led to our losing basically all the financial support from U.S. churches. For the last 16 years on Medeta Island, we received just $100 a month or so from churches in the U.S. Churches may fail us, God does not. That part of the story is still a long way down the road in this podcast. Abby's father taught Greek at the seminary, and Steve Montgomery, Don Ross, and Gene Garner were among his students who came to believe that the New Testament way of doing mission work was directly from local churches. After all, where were the associations, conventions, and mission organizations in the Book of Acts when the gospel went into all the world? Where was Paul and Silas's mission board? Missionaries should be sent out by a local church, and their support would be sent directly to them by other churches and individuals, as God led them to give. Based on that principle, Steve felt the call to go to Japan in 1954, and three years later, the Lord led him to go to Brazil, where he planned to work with the Japanese immigrants in Sao Paulo. Through the contacts of those young preachers among the loose fellowship of non-affiliated missionary Baptist churches and fellow students at the seminary, a wave of missionaries went out from these small churches in the 50s and early 60s. They were all sent out from local churches, without mission boards or organizations. Their only goal? Plant local, indigenous, autonomous churches. Don Ross and Eldwin Rogers went to Brazil with their families to work where Steve was. Don Ross worked for many years in the city of Sao Paulo, and Steve moved out into the interior of Sao Paulo State where he organized six churches. 
After seven years in Brazil, Eldwin Rogers went to Paraguay and later to Chile, and his son, Philip, continued the work in Chile until recently. Another son, Daniel, has done mission work in various parts of the world, in South America, Africa, and Eastern Europe, and East Central Asia. The Roland Island and Chuck Loper families joined Eldwin Rogers in Paraguay and carried on the work there. In the Orient, Eddie Sullivan and Carlton Elkins went to Japan. Carlton, now in his 90s, still lives in Japan with his son, Nathan, who married a Japanese girl. With Brother Steve's death, that generation that took the gospel to countries spanning continents is now gone, except for Carlton Elkins in Japan. I am a successor to that generation. From the age of 16, when I heard Brother Steve talk about the work in Brazil in 1963, I had no other goal in life. This podcast tells the story of our work, following the examples of Steve and his fellow missionaries. By faith alone, in God alone, we set out into the uttermost corners of the world to plant churches. Here is my tribute to the missionary I considered my father in the faith. What I said at the funeral has been redacted in part for use on this podcast. It was 4.30 in the morning and dark. Here we were, dragging suitcases across an open park, then walking along dimly lighted streets, following a man we didn't know, with whom we couldn't communicate, in a town we could only assume was the right one, trusting in him to get us to where we wanted to go. We had just gotten off the bus from Sao Paulo with our two children. Rachel was four, and Rick was three. We had traveled all night for 250 miles to a small coffee and sugar cane growing town in the interior of Sao Paulo State. The only reason we believed we were in Santa Cruz do Rio Pardo was because Brother Ross in Sao Paulo had told us that was the end of the line for that bus when he put us on it. We did have a piece of paper with a name and address on it, but that was it. It was March 1972, and we'd only been in Brazil one week. I, of course, had already mastered Portuguese. I mean, I could say, good morning, thank you, yes, no, and how are you? What else does one need to know? But in fact, I hadn't progressed enough to yell help, which I hoped I wouldn't need to know, and I certainly couldn't ask our fellow passengers getting off the bus, could you please tell me how to get to this address? Body language communicates a lot, however, but it was only the third person who looked at the paper and said something I interpreted to mean, follow me, I know where this is. So ten minutes later, shortly after 5 a.m., I knocked on the back door of a house where a light was on. Brother Steve opened the door with a surprised look on his face. He was up at that time because his oldest son, David, was about to catch his morning ride to university. But Steve hadn't met us at the bus station because he didn't know we were coming. We had spent our first week in Brazil with the Ross family in the city of Sao Paulo, but we were anxious to see the house that had been reserved for us next door to the Montgomery's, 250 miles away. We convinced Brother Ross to take us to the bus station that night, and he had written down Steve Montgomery's street address on a piece of paper, which I guarded with my life. But he didn't call Steve to let him know we were coming. Neither one of them had a phone. But Steve's place in our lives goes much further back. After I accepted the call to preach at the age of 13, 
Three years later, in 1963, Brother Steve came by our church in Colorado and spoke about his mission work in Brazil. The words he read from Romans 15.20 set the course of my life. So I have strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. From that moment, at the age of 16, I knew preaching Christ in Brazil to those who had not heard the gospel was my goal in life. A few years later, halfway through university, when I was tired of studying, I was ready to go to Brazil. I mentioned it in a letter to Brother Steve, and he wrote back, Finish your course first. Don't get in too much of a hurry. There's time. Paraphrasing the thought after all these years. So I finished university, and after graduation, we moved to Madison, Wisconsin, where I worked as a surveyor and waited on the Lord. I told him, If you want me to do surveying work, Lord, that's your business. Then, in late 1970, I received a newsletter from Brother Steve, and at the bottom of the mimeograph letter, he simply wrote something like, How are your plans coming along for Brazil? God used those words to trigger a chain of events that are the story of our lives. In 1971, as we visited churches and waited for our visas to Brazil, one pastor told us that Abby would never make it on the mission field. And furthermore, we would never be able to work with Steve Montgomery because Abby and Steve would never get along. Well, with words of support like that, how could we fail? So nine years, one wife, and two kids after God had laid Brazil in my heart, here I was at the age of 25 knocking on Steve's door in the middle of the night. And for the next three years and three months, Santa Cruz do Rio Pardo, São Paulo, would be our home. For the first year and a half, we lived in the house next door to the Montgomery's, the only contacts we had in English. But of course, the Montgomery kids soon had Rachel and Rick speaking Portuguese better than English. I never went to language school. I didn't have to. Steve was a perfect teacher. I hung on his every word when he preached. Every verb form, every preposition. My head throbbed from the data input. Years later, I would teach English in Madeira for 15 years, but Steve had his own teaching method. I call it the SOS method. We would go out visiting in people's homes, generally very humble dwellings. We would be served the traditional cafezinho and sit in the living room and talk. Well, sort of. We would sit. But Steve would go to sleep, seated on the couch, and leave me to do the talking. We hadn't been on the field for more than a month or so, and I had to make conversation. That's what I call the SOS method, short for sink or swim. I did a lot of sinking and very little swimming in the beginning. During the last half of our stay in Brazil, we lived in the Montgomery's house after Steve's accident when he had to come back to the States. But before he returned to the field, God had answered my prayer about a place to work. I had said, Lord, I'll go anywhere you call. I only ask one thing, that it be a pioneer mission field where Christ was not being preached. I wanted to be the first one in, not to build on another man's foundation. That field would be Madeira Island, and that's the story of this podcast. From that point onward, contacts between Steve and me were obviously few and far between. Steve did come to Madeira in April 1978 when we inaugurated our first meeting place. 
That gave me the chance to repay him for his language lessons. I had to explain to him what the Madeidans were saying. His ears were tuned to Brazilian Portuguese, and various expressions in the Portuguese spoken by the islanders were practically a new language to him. Time passed. The work on the island grew. I grew in my understanding of the scriptures. And in the course of time, not only were Steve and I separated by the Atlantic Ocean, but my understanding of certain scriptures, which had matured, and I imagine that if he and I had been sitting around discussing the word, we would have found that we had drifted apart on some issues. There were issues that led to heated discussions in the churches we visited as we prepared to go to the mission field. Matters not worth getting into here, and on those issues, neither of us had changed. But as I read the Word and saw God work on Medeta and experienced His work in my life, I changed. I adjusted my views on certain church practices we had always been taught, as I could no longer defend them from the Bible. Steve often told the story about an elderly couple driving down the road, back when cars still had bench seats in the front instead of bucket seats. As the wife sat by the passenger door, she reminisced. Honey, do you remember back when we used to sit close? Sitting behind the wheel, her husband replied, Well, I haven't moved. Steve used that story to remind believers that when we feel God is not as close to us as he once was, we're the ones who moved. God is still the same. As for Steve and me, I admit I changed but I can't say to what extent he may have changed or not during those years we each followed God through different paths on different sides of the world. After we had lived in Madeira for 40 years, in 2016, the Lord made it very clear it was time to turn the work over to the local brethren. I'd gone to Madeira with the vision of a church in every village, but I quickly changed that prayer to, Lord, give me one autonomous church, grounded in the word, united in love, and with a vision for missions, and I will consider that my life's work. That prayer had been answered, and God brought us back to Harrison, Arkansas, where we bought Abby's parents' house and property. Our work continues, of course, but in a different place and manner. We had gone to Medeta as foreigners, and we came back to the U.S. as outsiders. We had a lot of work to do to resettle, but there was one item on my bucket list I could not get around to. Then last July, Steve's son, Tim, told us that he would be going to Louisiana for his dad's 92nd birthday celebration. God's timing once again was evident. We decided to crash the party. We drove down and spent a couple of days, and during that time, Steve and I sat and talked for the first time in nearly 30 years. We swapped stories of our respective walks with the Lord. Steve told stories from his earliest childhood memories to his early days in Brazil. Stories he never had time or occasion to tell when we were working together in Brazil, where the events of life occupied us with other concerns. I told Steve about how God had worked in our lives after we left Brazil, and as we talked, I realized that we were in perfect agreement. Our stories were separated by generations and continents, but there was a common thread in all of them. Steve and I have the same unshakable faith that God will provide our every need. Steve's son, Tim, showed me a letter his father wrote in 1991 in which he summarized his life. 
Steve had made a profession of faith when he was 12, but he admitted he didn't take it seriously. Then something happened when he was around 16, when his father asked him to sing a duet with him. The two began singing the hymn, I Surrender All, but Steve said he couldn't finish singing the first verse. He knew he was singing a lie. His father thought Steve had a problem with his throat, but the problem was with his heart, a problem he worked out, as his life later demonstrated. In that letter, Steve described the tremendous trials he and his father faced in Japan. There were serious health issues, and they couldn't cash the first check they received on the mission field in support of their work. The church treasurer had forgotten to sign it. He wrote in this letter, We were reduced to nothing for several days. I can now see the Lord in it all, but at the time it was a real trial. We learned, again, not to trust the post office, nor even the very instrument God uses to carry on his work, that is, his own churches, but to trust in God himself. That is the Steve I always knew. That is the same Steve I spoke with last July. No matter how much or whether either of us had changed our views on certain points of doctrine, we both shared the lifelong vision of planting churches among those who had not heard. And we implicitly trusted in God alone to provide whatever was needed. We both experienced the magnificent, marvelous, and, dare I say, miraculous intervention of God as we obeyed the call of the Lord in our lives. I believe we are witnessing the passing of generation, one that produced missionaries who went into the far fields of the world in the 50s and 60s. The Rosses, the Rogers, the Allens in South America, the Sullivans and the Elkins in Japan, Brother Steve Montgomery was instrumental in those fields. And for us, the potters, too. As God opened a door in Madeira, island, from which the world has gone forth and is still going out to every country in Europe and beyond. As representatives of the next generation, I know we will also pass. And I pray that we will leave behind faithful men who will pass on this faith to another generation. But who knows? We may be the generation that shall not pass away, that Jesus spoke about that would not pass away until all events prophesied by him for his return are fulfilled. In those troubled times, more than ever, that generation will have to live by that same faith once for all delivered to the saints, the faith by which Steve Montgomery lived, the faith that has brought him into the presence of his Lord, where faith is no longer needed, for his eyes now see the Lord in person. Well, that's all for this time. Come back for the next episode, which I call The Importance of Hineni. It's the first step in conquering any mountain in our lives.